That's all you got to do is push that blue button right there, Terry? Yeah. All right. All right, I think we're good to go. Maybe somebody will go on Facebook and make sure the volume's working and all that kind of stuff. All right, let's get into our Bible study tonight. We're going to go back into the, the book of Jonah. Hey, before we do that, I know Paul said something on Saturday that several of the bikers and guys that were here were commenting about all the flags. So I, li I like that. I like that kind of thing. Good, good comment. Yeah, I better say that. <laughs> I better say that. I take that for granted sometimes, but they were commenting about the flags. And they said something about your pastor must be very patriotic. And I promise you I am. I am. I love this land. I love, I, we, we are so blessed to be living in America. You have no earthly idea. If you've never been anywhere else, you have no idea how good we got it. And uh, I've said, said that many, many times before that um, one of the reasons I'm uh, grateful to live in America is I've been other places, <laughs> you know, so uh, God bless America. Amen. Hey, if you join us on Facebook, we're going to get back into Jonah. Let's, let's go into part number four. All right, so any thoughts or questions you have about Jonah? We've been reading through it. We've been talking about it for a few weeks in a row now. Any, any questions, thoughts? Anybody? What had Jonah done prior to this? What had Jonah done prior to this? Um, well, we know he's a prophet. And the only biblical story that we have about Jonah, I don't, I don't have the reference. I did put it in my notes before. But he prophesied to a king, if I'm not mistaken, it's Jeroboam the second, if I'm not, don't quote me on that, but it's close, uh, somewhere around 770 uh, BC, something like that. We know that he had, he prophesied to the king. And uh, other than that, we don't have any, anything prior about Jonah, you know, you know uh, but we do have him rooted in history, in biblical history. So that, that gives us a point to know that, that you know, this is a story about a, a man who really lived, you know. But that's, that's really all we have on Jonah, um, biblical speaking. Unless I'm missing something. Anybody know anything else about it? Jesus didn't mention Jesus. Jesus mentioned Jonah. Um, remember, he said that um, they, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. No other sign will be given to you except that of the prophet Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the, of, the, of the fish. And so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Um, and I tell you that a greater than Jonah is here with you. So it's kind of interesting that Jesus um, kind of dignified Jonah in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, even though Jonah didn't seem to be really worthy of that. You know what I'm talking about? So Jesus did mention him. And so we, we do know he was a prophet. So what did prophets do? Prophesy. They prophesy. They speak the word of the Lord to, to uh, people, to the people of God especially. Now, he's, he's called to go to the Gentiles right here, which is a little bit odd. There's only a couple prophets that, that were given that assignment. Nahum was one of them, which Nahum was also prophesying against Nineveh. And the sad story about Nineveh is Nineveh repents underneath this king. But about 50 years later, a new king comes and then Babylon comes in and destroys them. So they do fall underneath judgment. They, they kind of revert back to their old ways kind of thing. Uh, does that sound familiar? <laughs> Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. So I'm going to chapter 4. Mm -hmm. Chapter 4? Yes. And it's kind of like a, well, I guess it kind of is a question, but, you know, Jonah chapter 4, I think it's 5. 
Jonah had sat down and there he made himself a shelter. Then it goes down to six. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade. Mm -hmm. Was kind of makes you wonder: Was Jonah's not good enough, and and was God, or was God just showing him, "Hey, I got you too. You don't have to do everything." I don't know. To me, it was just kind of like that. Well, I think there's a practical answer to that as well as a spiritual one. A practical answer is he's in, if you were looking on a modern day map, he's, you know, you've heard of Mosul, M-O-S-U-L, Iraq. You've heard of that, Mosul. That's where Nineveh is. It's right in that region. And depending on the time of year it is, it might be 120 degrees where he's at. So there's probably a real practical reason for the shade. And the way I read that is, is that Jonah built himself maybe some a, a, a little hut, maybe underneath a tree or some sticks, got some things gathered, made himself a hut. And God just kind of caused a vine or plant to grow over the top of that just to intensify the shade a little bit. That's kind of, that's my conjecture on it now. Um, so was Jonah's not good enough? That's a good point. Uh, didn't seem like hardly anything Jonah did was right. <laughs> Or you could flip it to the other side about mm -hmm. God's goodness. It's like, it's like I know you did this, John, but I'm going to give you more shade and more shelter. Exactly. And you know what God's trying to get him to do? I mean, God's really trying to get him to cool down. I mean, physically, but also mentally. Uh, this man's hot. He's hot as fire. I mean, he's hot physically probably just being in that sunshine. But he's not, he's pretty mad right at that point. Where's that? Yeah, it was. It was the way the story portrays it. It's like a miracle. He woke up and it, boom, it was there. It's like he took a nap and boom, there's a vine on top of him, a big plant. So, um, what's that? I would have gotten over whatever I was mad at right there. That was what he was supposed to do. It's exactly what you read that story and you're like, well, come on, dude. <laughs> That's what you're, you're exactly supposed to do. That. You, why didn't you get over it then? God, God showed mercy to you, That's basically. And then after that, if he didn't get over it, when the bug came and it disappeared, I think I would have got over it then. If I didn't get over it, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. God prepared the plant and then he prepared, the wind came by and then, then God prepared that worm and came and ate that plant. He said, well, if this ain't going to work, we'll, we'll, I got other ways I can get your attention. Well, it's just like us. It gives us so many things all the time. Exactly. Ignore so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about, how, you know, you're breathing oxygen right now. Uh, when's the last time you thank God for breathing that air that belongs to him? I mean, we don't, we don't even think about it, to be honest with you. You know, remember the, the video we watched about the water coming out of the, the, the ground? That when you take a drink of water, you just sometimes, we just think it just, it's just automatic. It just comes out of the tap. But, but whose water is that, really? I mean, that, that water belongs to God. He provided that in some sort of way. And when's the last time we took a drink of water and said, thank you, Lord, for the water? You know, I'm not, not scolding you or anything, but I'm saying we need to become more aware and cognizant of all the things that God does and, and be more thankful, you know? It's interesting to me, as much as he went through, you know, he was rejected of God's call at birth, and then, you know, he went to, you know, swallowed by a whale and all that, or fish, whatever, and, you know, went through that punishment, and then, you know, he, he changed and went on and, and prophesied to them, and, and they mm -hmm. repented, and instead of rejoicing, you know, he was frustrated. He was 
mm-hmm. angry about it. Yeah. It, it, it tells you a little bit about it. You know, I, I, I think we can relate as, as believers. We can relate to that. God does a great thing in our life, and then we're, we're thankful for it. We make some changes. We make some adjustments. But then along the way, something else happens, and not to our liking. And what's the tendency as a human being? I'm not talking about your, your sanctified answer. I'm talking about your for real answer. What's your tendency as, as a human being is to gripe and complain and fuss about this and that and the other if it didn't go our way, especially if it's a real hard thing. But he went there prophesying for them to repent, and they repented, so basically it did go his way. God's it went God's way, but as it, as it was, we, we find out Jonah had a change. He got mad because God forgave him. Yeah, he got mad because God But for, that was the point of going. That was the point of going, but he also said that that's why he didn't want to go. Remember, he said, I didn't want to go because I knew God you were going to forgive him. I didn't want to have that, that preaching session. I didn't want to have that conversation with him because I knew you were going to forgive him, and I don't think they deserve to be forgiven. Now, when you put yourself, we're going to talk about that Sunday. When you put yourself in the position to where you become the sin management for God, you're in big, big trouble. I mean, you know whose sin you ought to manage? Your own. We got, we got plenty. We got handfuls of that already, don't we? All of us do. So. Well, we, we, we as, you know, you find yourself getting caught up on that within my realm of work. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't, they don't deserve, they don't deserve, you know, and I have to check myself and say, you're not their judge. Exactly. And it, it's real easy to get caught up in, oh, I'm, I'm here and they're here. Mm-hmm. Sin, sin. It is. And, um, a plank thing. Jesus talked about a plank. You know, you, you're trying to get the splinter out of his eye, but you got this plank in your own eye. First, take care of what's in your eye, then you'll be able to see clearly what to do, you know. I'm already preaching Sunday already, so. <laughs> but no, it all works. It all works together. Um, but he was upset, you know, and, and it didn't, it, it shows you that we can, I, I believe his prayer in chapter two was very sincere. It, it's, it seems to be from the depths of the sea, but it's also from the depths of his heart. I, I, it, it seems sincere and for real. I think the prayers we pray when we make a, a fresh commitment or, or, or a commitment of any kind to the Lord, I believe they're sincere. But it shows you that even though somebody comes to the altar, says a few prayers or kneels by their bedside or does whatever, and they humble themselves before God, the work is not finished. You know what I'm talking about? We still got a lot of work to do, and, and God keeps working with Jonah. That's, that's the testament I see of God in this story is that he keeps working with Nineveh, and he keeps working with Jonah. What's the hope? The hope is that he's going to keep working with us. That's what I gather. You know. Anybody else? The way it ends in chapter four, just it's just like it come to a just a dead stop. Just fell off a cliff, didn't it? You know, <laughs> it's like I want the Lord to keep saying something else to him, or or Jonah to say something it's else. For a sequel. <laughs> Jonah part two, yeah. Second Jonah. Did he ever go back to the sea? Yeah. He probably never got on a boat again, I don't think. <laughs> he became a landlover at that point, I would imagine. Uh, it, it does end very strange, but it ends as if it's an open-ended question. 
You know, a lot of stories of Jesus end like that. Just because they're, it, it ends as, what's he going to do now? God asked him a question. You care more about this plant than you do Nineveh. Shouldn't I care about Nineveh, who all these souls are there? You know, that's a paraphrase, but shouldn't I care? And it just ends. Boom. And why does the Lord say, um, you know, there's 120,000 people. They can't discern between their right hand and their left. Does, it, does it, that mean they needed guiding? Or Yeah. It, right hand and left is, is like right and wrong. They, they, they have no discernment in them. They don't know my ways. They don't know my word. And I, but I still care for them, you know. I, I believe that's what he's saying in that, that sense. That I mean, Nineveh was pagan. They didn't have the law of Moses. They didn't have the prophets to speak to them. Uh, they were just left to their pagan ways. And God said, I still care about them. I still care about them. And he even mentioned the cattle. <laughs> and that, it's funny how the cattle... And, <laughs> you know, they can't between the right hand and their left, and they have all so much cattle. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it shows us how God cares for his creation in, in that kind of deal. And I think it's also funny in the cows when the king called the cows to repent, you know, <laughs> that everybody was going fast, you know, and he didn't even let them eat, you know. So uh, anybody else? Anybody else? Got it? Keep reading it. It's just crazy about the Bible. It's just. It's just a wonderful thing. The, the, the more you, it'll go as deep as you want to go. It really will. Just, it'll keep talking to you and talking to you. All right, now let's, let's go back into this idea or these ideas that we talked about Sunday about sin, judgment, and repentance. And let's just try to hit some spots that I wasn't able to Sunday. And I, I know I went a little, little longer to bring these points together, but these are huge subjects in the Bible, humongous subjects. So let me, let me get right back here again. So sin, the idea is missing the mark. You've heard that before, haven't you? The idea of missing, is missing the mark, but not like you miss it on accident. It's like you miss it on purpose. It's like you make an intentional choice. Now, did, did Jonah make a choice? Well, ain't no doubt about it. He made a bunch of choices in this, this short little story. Um, but we also talked about how sin is, is characterized as a power. And it just seems like as Jonah started that descent down so to speak as he started going the wrong direction it's like he, he couldn't get any traction from then on it just got worse and worse and it's like this power of sin took literally took over his life remember we went to the story of Cain remember we talked about that where God came and, and talked to Cain in Genesis chapter 4 remember that basically God said either you rule over sin or sin will rule over you It'll, it'll swallow you up. It'll devour you. And that's literally what happens to Jonah. And, and there is a prophetic image through several of the prophets. I think Jeremiah, um, I, I, Hosea has it, and I believe Nahum has it. But there's these, these pictures of sin and judgment coming and swallowing the people up. And all that verbiage is there. Now, Jonah literally lives that out. Okay. Now, here, here's, I've shown you this picture several times. Now, this is the picture of sin. We talk about missing the mark, not on accident, but a choice. This is a picture of sin. He goes down to Joppa. He's supposed to go to Nineveh, which would be about like right there if we were on the screen. Nineveh, he's supposed to go to Nineveh, but he sins against the call. He sins against the command. He sins against God by absolutely going in the opposite direction. And he wants to go over here. 
See what I'm talking about? So that's, that's really a picture of sin is this choice that we make to go in the other direction. So God says, do this, and you do the opposite. Now, that, we don't go in terms of Nineveh and Tarshish, so to speak, but what about in terms of thou shalt and thou shalt not? We go the opposite direction on some of those. God says thou shalt not, and what do we end up doing as humans? We end up doing it. God says, thou shalt do this. You should go this direction. And we end up not necessarily doing that. So that's, that's a kind of a layout picture of, of sin. Now, what was the sin of Nineveh? God made very plain about Nineveh. This is kind of an artist's rendering of Nineveh right there on the riverside. Um, it was a very well-developed city. They found a lot of, a lot of discoveries there. It's in several, several museums, I believe, in, in uh, Britain especially. Wickedness has, the wickedness of Nineveh, God said, had come up before him. Wickedness. What do you think God was seeing? What do you think God saw? I mean, we don't know necessarily. What, what do you think he saw in that town? They weren't looking to him. They weren't looking to him for sure. Same things we're seeing today. How do you think Nineveh, how do you think they were treating people, treating each other? And, and, you know, my mind goes to the, the silly VeggieTales thing. Stop hitting people with fishes. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, that's, that's not necessarily the right, right way to look at the story. But y'all remember that? If you had kids, you remember that kind of thing. Well, he probably saw the way that they treated people. Other people that they conquered, I mean, they would just be brutal and violent. The idea of wickedness is the idea of evil. It's the idea of bad. It's the idea of wrongdoing. Nineveh, as a culture, as a city had become a really evil place. In fact, the entire Assyrian Empire had become a really evil place. And isn't it interesting how the story here keeps a couple things in tension? You know, there's some biblical truths you can't really reconcile. It just, they just hold each other in tension. And they seem to be equal opposites of each other. So the story talks to us a lot about God's patience. But it also talks about God's wrath. You know, it, it, it shows us God's love and his patience, but it also shows us that uh, don't push it too far, man. You know, that there is wickedness that when God gets a belly full, it's not going to be good for anybody. So he says, Jonah says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown in 40 days. So they basically have a, 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 their, their last window of opportunity is going to be a 40-day grace period that mercy will be extended. But at the end of the 41st day, you put it on your calendar, it's over for y'all. Okay? Now, the 40 is interesting, isn't it? Is, is it? Any other 40-day stories we got in the Bible? No. Noah, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Any, any more you can think of? Jesus, his temptation was 40 days. He fasted for 40 days, which is quite a feat. What, any, any others? What about Moses on Mount Sinai? He was there on at least two different occasions for 40 day stints. Uh, the 12 spies, when they went into the promised land and they spied it all out and they'd come back with the grapes, guess how long they were gone? 40 days. David and Goliath, Goliath standing over there hollering at Israel. Guess how long Goliath hollered at Israel? 
calling them all kind of names, talking bad about God. Guess how long? 40 days. From the time of the resurrection of Jesus all the way to ascension. What's that? 40 days. And there's probably more stories than that. And there's a lot of 40 year stories in the Bible as well. So 40 is the number of testing. It's the number of trial. So Nineveh is going to be on trial for 40 days. Now Sunday we talked about these, these four things. Sin makes you selfish and self-centered. Sin makes you stubborn. Sin makes you stupid. Sin's a slippery slope. We talked about all that. Remember the slippery slope? If you, if you look at the story, those key, what was the key word we looked at on the slippery slope? What was the word? Jonah went down. Remember down. Jonah went down to Joppa. Then Jonah went down to the ship. Then Jonah went down into the ship. Then Jonah laid down. And then we see the descent down in the belly of the, of the beast. He's down to the bottom of the mountains. So that's a, that's a slippery slope. Now, we can say a lot more about sin. Sin's never a good thing, is it? Whether it's your sin or my sin, other people's sins, they have consequences. Sin always leads to judgment. Say that with me. Sin always leads to judgment. It can, it can even be somebody else's sins, and sometimes you come underneath some of those consequences. Now, we, we talked a little bit about judgment. I, I like to think of judgment in one sense uh, as, as like God's tough love. There are just some things that God has to do in his wisdom, and he knows when to drop the hammer. He, he has to drop the hammer and just give tough love. Just, just curious. You don't have to raise your hand. Enough. Have you ever had an instance in your life with a friend or maybe a family member or maybe a child or something like that where you've literally had to give them tough love? If it's, if it's really love and you're loving somebody like that, how did you feel about that? I mean, it hurts you to do that, doesn't it, when you really care about somebody? Because you, when you give somebody tough love that, that is being hard-headed or stubborn about something, and maybe somebody underneath your authority or something like that, when you really, truly love them, I mean, it really hurts you. It hurts you to be like that, you know, uh, because you, you're not even sure if, if it's going to work. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? In fact, so a lot of times. You give somebody tough love, and what do they end up doing? If they're not done yet, you know what I'm talking about? If they're not done, what do they usually do? Pew! They run the other way, don't they? I, I think of judgment like this in, in a lot of ways. As long as it's not judgment that leads to death. Now, the Scripture does say there is a judgment that leads to death, and when that happens, that's a period on the end of the sentence. That's over. But when judgment does not lead to death, it's this. Judgment is an act of God's grace to make things right. You know, why does God bring all this judgment into Jonah's life? To help that man get right and to get back on course. Why does God want to bring, why is God going to bring judgment on Nineveh? Well, he's got, he's got to right this situation that's going on there. So, so think of judgment as the idea, think of it like this. If, if a judge is sitting in a court of law and he has to make a, a judgment or a decree over somebody's life, what is the judge hoping will happen? Well, he's hoping to make the thing right. He's hoping to make it somewhat right for the victim. But he also wants to make it right for the perpetrator or the criminal. He wants to make it right for them that if, if he has to give them five years, that hopefully five years, the judgment's going to hit them in such a way that they go through five years of rehabilitation to where they change their, their life for the better. Isn't that, isn't that what, a, that's what a, a good judge wants anyway? Okay. Now, Look, look at this idea of, of, 
I just want to show you these pictures. We didn't go over this this Sunday. Jonah says this. This he's this is chapter two. So this is his prayer from the belly of the beast. Okay, the belly of the fish. And and you, you mentioned that the Bible never calls it a whale. We we kind of did Jonah and the whale thing ourselves. Uh, the Bible just calls it a, a, a great fish. Okay. The waters surrounded me. And when you see this idea of the waters, it almost is always indicative of like chaos or darkness. Okay. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. You, you see the idea? He's, he's surrounded physically, but what's happening on the inside of it? He's drowning on the inside. I mean, he's, he's feel like he's drowning outside, but he's dr- this, this pressing or this chaos, this darkness is pressing all the way down to his soul. The deep closed around me. Get this picture. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I always think that funny. You got seaweed. Oh boy, he's got seaweed wrapped around his head. I'll tell you what, if you get it so bad, you got seaweed wrapped around, you're going to pray. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to pray. You're going to pray. All right. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings or to the bottoms of the mountain. So Jonah hits rock bottom, literally and spiritually. His soul just hits rock bottom. And you know that rock bottom is often the place of returning, isn't it? It's often the place where we learn to return to God. So God's judgment was meant to rescue him, and here we see it happening. It redeems Jonah out of his mess. It'll redeem us now. Now, again, from, from the story now, was it God's heart to destroy Nineveh? If, if you read the entire thing. See, it, it starts off, it seems like it's, it's a story about God and Nineveh, doesn't it? As soon as you get going, go to Nineveh. I got to deal with these folks. Okay. But was it, was it really God's heart to destroy Nineveh? Is that really what God wanted? Was it really God's will? God wanted them to repent and come to him, didn't he? That's what he wanted. But he made no bones about it that judgment is right there. Now, was it God's heart to destroy Jonah? What really brought all this on? Jonah brought it on himself. Jonah's choices, didn't it? Jonah's choices combined with his stubbornness. And that makes a bad choices and a stubborn heart makes for a rough life. Oh, boy, said life is hard. Life is really hard if you're stupid. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and I, I, I know how I know that? I got a tattoo <laughs> from, from that idea, you know, that kind of deal. So th- this, this whole deal, judgment is an act of love and mercy. It's an act of God's grace, really. It really is. All right. Now, this idea of judgment. Now, think about this. Think deep about this. We are all accountable to God for our actions. Do you realize that? We, we kind of put that behind, behind us a little bit and we go about our merry way. But the scripture says that you and I, all of us, everybody's ever lived, stand in full account to God for their actions, whether they be good or whether they be bad. Now, what if we lived with that reality? Because sometimes we push that reality so far to the back that we think just because God didn't drop the hammer right then that we're okay. You know what I'm talking about? Now, what if you and I lived with the consciousness and reality that, hey, I'm accountable? It changed some things, wouldn't it? It's meant to change some things. Now, judgment can happen now. It can happen in this life, for sure. We've all tasted of what we call consequences 
for bad choices or sinful choices. I know I have. But there's also another judgment that's coming. It's called the final judgment. And that's where it gets really serious. Talking about the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible speaks of two different judgments. Well, I don't have time to really get into all this. But you, you probably heard of the judgment seat of Christ. You've heard of that? And that's where believers will stand before God. And we're going to give account of our actions. We're going to give account of our, our lives to God. Now, Paul talks about this. Remember, he says, Christ is the, is the only foundation that can be laid, but be careful how you build on that foundation. Be careful what you do with the life God gives you as a believer. And if any man builds on that foundation, wood, hay, or stubble, or precious stones, silver, or gold, each man's works will be tried on that day, it says. So it's going to pass through. Judgment here is seen as a fire. It's going to pass through a fire. And if you pass wood, hay, and stubble through fire, what happens? If you pass precious stones, gold, and silver through fire, what happens? It's purified, isn't it? Now, the good news is that if you're a believer in this judgment, it says the bad stuff will be burned up, the good stuff will go through the fire, and you will not, you'll be saved. You know, we, we get to pass through that fire ourselves. Okay. I, I hear that not as fear. I hear that as some good stuff, actually. Because all the stuff that I've done that are wood, hay, and stubble, we all got that. Stuff we didn't do right. Built with inferior stuff. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have it together. We didn't do it the way God wanted us to. That's basically the idea. The good news of that is, is God says, I'm going to let that pass through the fire of my judgment. And that's not coming into eternity with you. And you will not have to live with that the rest of eternity. Aren't you glad of that? I'm glad I don't have to live with all that. And some of us, it's lost years. That you can't get back. God said, I'm going I'm to burn that up for you. Okay? Now, that's probably not going to be the best day of our lives. The best day will be the next day. <laughs> the next few moments. But it's going to be some things where we see some things that, that um, you'll see it more clearly. Let's say it like that. And then there's the great white throne judgment spoken of in Revelation 20. That's when the sea will give up its dead. The land will give up its dead. The resurrection of the dead will happen. Uh, for those who don't know Christ. And that great white throne judgment is where those will be thrown into the lake of fire. And hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. It says uh, that, that won't be a good day for anybody. My point here, for our, our purposes, we're all accountable to God for our actions. God brings that to bear in the, in the life of Jonah. So now how do you get out of the belly of the beast? Let's, let's talk a little bit about repentance and then we'll go. Repentance is the way we get a new start. It's, it's a big, big idea in the Bible from cover to cover, really. Repentance is a, is a, it's an archaic word, but it's a really, really needed, needed uh, uh, process in our lives. Basically, sin is missing the mark by a choice. Now, repentance is a choice to make a change. Now, you're doing it with God's help, but it's you making a choice saying, God, I am going to change. When does Jonah do this? When does he decide to make a change? In the belly, in the belly of, the, of the fish, right? In the belly of the beast. He decides, that's what chapter 2 is about. It's about this prayer. He decides to turn and go the other way. Now, you probably heard the idea of repentance. It's, it's the idea if you're walking in this direction, you turn and you go the other way, right? 
Now, did God help Jonah turn a little bit? Did God help him turn? He did. Big fish, big turn, big change. <laughs> he does. God helped him turn right in the belly of that fish, and he put him right on the right direction. I say that because when you get ready to turn back to God, you don't have to do it by yourself. Aren't you glad of that? He'll help you. He'll help you. Now, when you're turning to go the other way, it's, it's not necessarily a choice between heaven and hell. It may play out that point if you don't repent of your sins as a whole. Really, the choice is between the way of the world and the way of Jesus. That's really the choice here when it comes to repentance. Are you going to follow the way of the world, which is the way of yourself? Or are you going to follow the way of Jesus? That's where we have to repent. All right. So Jonah cried out. Verse 2 of chapter 2 says, I cried out to the Lord. This is Jonah's account. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, or the belly of the grave. I was, I was literally in hell. If you've ever been in that kind of situation, you know what he's talking about. He said, I cried, and you heard my voice. I cried out. So that, that really becomes the, the foundation of repentance is, is to cry out to the Lord. Now, you know that you're in a bad situation. There's a difference between crying and crying out. What's the difference? Yeah, crime could be just because of the pain and the suffering you're going through and the fallout that's happening and all that kind of thing. And it, it's, a, it's a very regretful situation usually if you're going through this kind of thing, if your life is literally falling apart. But is crying enough? But when you cry out, it's different than just crying, right? And there's several stories in the Bible where you have a person that cries and nothing changes, but you... You have every situation in the Bible where somebody cries out to the Lord and the Lord intervenes. How did they get out of Egypt? After 400 years of bondage. It says, and they cried out to the Lord. There's a whole study you could do right there on crying out throughout all the scriptures. And it's, it's a fascinating study, really. Because, see, there's a difference between regret and repentance. Jacob and Esau, kind of that story, right? You remember? Jacob sinned a ton in his story. Jacob seemed to always find a place of repentance. Esau also sinned in the story. He despised his birthright. But it says that Esau, the interesting thing about him, remember that story? It says that he searched for a place of repentance, but he couldn't. He, searched, he, he, he cried many, many tears, but he could not find that place of repentance. Isn't that something? So there's a difference between crying and crying out. I just want to bring that to your attention. Now, listen to what he says. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Now that fainting soul, that's, that's important, isn't it? Because Jonah was a real strong, stubborn guy for a long time in this story. And then he gets taken to the bottom, to rock bottom. Ain't got nothing else left. Boom. And then he remembers the Lord. A lot to be said about that. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Huh. Where's idolatry in this story? Where's idolatry in this story? 
We didn't see him worshiping any statues, but what was he basically worshiping? His own opinions, his own choices. He was going to be captain of his own ship. And he said, if you're going to do that, then you're going to forsake your own mercy. That's a, that says a whole lot. Doesn't it? The interesting thing about mercy right here is it's a proper name. God's name right here is called mercy. That's, I, I like that idea. Then verse number nine. Jonah says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I, I'm so thankful that this happened. That's crazy. But if you've ever been there, you know what he's talking about. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Put me back on course. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. All right. So the Lord spoke to the fish. Here, get, the, get the progression. The Lord spoke to Jonah. Jonah cut communications off from that point on. Then Jonah spoke to the Lord. And now the Lord speaks to the fish. Okay. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited or spit out Jonah on dry land. So he went from going all the way down to he just got spit up. He got his first leg up on the, in the story, right? All right. Jonah got spit up. Now, I don't have time to get into it. Go look at it yourself in Jonah 1, 14 through 16. The sailors repent. And they kind of go through the same idea. They cry out. They pray. They fear. They offer sacrifice. And they make vows to God. Just go take a look at that. The sailors repent. But I want you to see this picture again of Nineveh repenting. What does repentance look like? It looks like something. It's, it's not just an emotional thing. In fact, it may not even have any emotion to it at all. But it always is a choice. Now, it may have a lot of emotion depending on the state of affairs that you're in. The people of Nineveh, what does their repentance look like? Jonah 3, 5. So the people of Nineveh, now this is after Jonah goes through the town preaching. Forty days, the Lord's going to destroy the city. The people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. That's a big deal in Nineveh. They believed God. Huh. Isn't that where faith starts? Faith just simply starts in believing God, doesn't it? Believing that God said he is who he says he is. They proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the least. I like the idea of the greatest to the least because it just kind of swept through the whole city. All right? Now, here, here's my favorite picture of repentance in, in the story. Now, I, I love Jonah's stuff, but I, I, this, this is really graphic for me. I, I can see it. The king of Nineveh repents. Now, who is the king of Nineveh? Okay, if, if Nineveh is the worst place on the planet, who's the worst person in Nineveh? The king of Nineveh, I mean, he's the most brutal. He's the guy who's giving out all the orders to the military to go and do all the things they're doing. He's the one that created this culture of violence, or at least is in, in enabling it. He's the most awful man on the planet, and he repents. And what does that look like? Look what it says. Then word came to the king of Nineveh. This is what he does. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. Now, that's a big deal for the baddest dude on the planet now. For the meanest guy on earth, that's a pretty big deal. Do you see the picture? If you could use this verse to describe repentance, how would you describe it? Just using this verse right here, okay? What would you say? Repentance looks like this. 
Tell, talk to me. You ain't just sit there and sleep on me now. Uh-uh. <laughs> he did what? He humbled himself. He humbled. Where do you get that from? He, he got off what? He got off of his throne, and he just absolutely humbled himself. Now, if, if you're going to come to God on any terms, if it's the first time you're coming to God to ask for forgiveness of your sins, or if it's the thousandth time you're coming to God to get this thing right, I promise you, you've got to get off of your throne. Conviction can be strong. It's, it's, it's thick as peanut butter around there. I think I've said that. Conviction was super strong there. You know, you, you hear these stories about revivals like this that happen. You know, the, the, the different awakenings that happen in American history, uh, revivals that happen in Europe and all kinds of things with, with Wesley and some things like that, that when people came to God, that it's, it's like a presence, the presence of God entered the room in such a way that conviction was so strong that people would just start repenting. There wasn't no altar calls or nothing. People just start asking for forgiveness right there where they were. Kneeling on tree stumps and all, uh, factories and all kinds of stuff. You hear all these stories from Whitfield and, and Wesley and, and all, all these great men of God that's come through. And wouldn't we like to say that again? Well, it's, it's a great point. Even if you're the king, guess who you're going to answer to? I mean, you think you are good. You know? <laughs> See? And you know, the interesting progression of the story is, is that the people repent and then the king repents. That's the, because it, it, would, it would have been a different story if the king repented and then made everybody else repent. Then it's not, something's not sincere about that. You know what I'm talking about? They just scared of that guy because he, he, they seen him do some pretty crazy stuff already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the people repent. I think it's neat how God crafted the story like that. The people repented and then the king repented. <laughs> What's that? Mm-hmm. Going up, story's going up. Exactly right. It's going up through the hierarchy of, of Nineveh now. Now, Sandy brought up a point. So you are the king. So you are the boss. You still got a boss. <laughs> and we are still accountable to God. It don't matter if you're in charge or not. And he, he realizes that. That king realizes it. Now, let's, let's wrap it up with this. We're done. This is what the king says. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. That's a picture of humility. Basically put on the rags. We, we think of it maybe like wrap, wrap it in burlap, or, or burlap sacks or something like that. Potato sacks. That kind of thing. Let them be covered with sackcloth. It's, it's an act of humility. And cry mightily to God. We, we've seen that a couple times now, hadn't we? Cry mightily to God. Now, he didn't just say cry. Did he? I like that. It cry mightily to God. I mean, you put your heart in this. Let's, let's do this. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. What's that turn about? That's repentance. That's, that's the repentance right there. Don't, I don't want you just to cry out and make this an emotional thing, although it's very serious. I want you to change what you're doing. Now, what would God rather have? Would he rather have your emotion or do you change what you're doing? What does he really want? Change what you're doing, whatever that might be for any of us. 
And this is what he says. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? The king basically throws himself and the whole kingdom on the mercy of God, which is what you have to do if you're truly going to repent. And if you repent, God will relent. And the last of it for tonight. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. And my last question here to you, God saw their works. <clears throat> I mean, God's looking over this whole city. It's at least 120,000 people we know of from top to bottom. What did God see on those few days as this revival sweeps through Nineveh? What did God see? He saw their lives changing. And what did you say, Miss Pat? Their hearts and lives. He, he, he saw their, their hearts change. Because he, that's where he's looking at, really, isn't it? I mean, when God says he looks, he, God doesn't see everything. In fact, the prophet Samuel told us that God said, I don't see like y'all see. I don't see everything y'all see. I don't even, it don't even, what y'all trying to pick out, that ain't what I'm looking at. I, I look... I look, he sees the truth and he sees the inward workings of a person. Because God has the ability, Jesus does it many times over. He has the ability, he sees people doing good things and said, it ain't right. What did he see? He saw their heart, didn't he? That they were doing good things outwardly, maybe going to church, maybe giving offerings, maybe helping people, and, you know, helping little old ladies across the street, all that kind of stuff they were doing. But they were doing it for the wrong reasons, and God saw that. He, he saw that from time to time, didn't he? He sees it in us. The thought and even intent of the heart, Scripture says. Now, what did God see in Nineveh? Well, he saw all these actions, but he saw those hearts change. And that pleased him. That pleased him. And, that, and that's true repentance, isn't it? That's what he saw. And they turned from their evil ways. Now, Sunday, we're going to get into the, the end part of the story. So if you want, to, you want to go back and read chapters 3 and 4 at least, I, I recommend you keep reading the whole book together. It just kind of keeps the story intact. God will call for Jonah to repent again. Jonah's going to have to repent again. So it, it's making a, a, a thing here for us is that repentance seems to be, if you're going to walk with this God, repentance seems to be a way of life. You know what I'm talking about? Because God's going to challenge you on every front of all of your behavior, the way you think about life, the way you think about people, the way you think about money, the way you think about your family, the way you think about Him, the way you think about eternity. God's going to confront you on every fact. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount's about. It's a whole big confrontation of the way people do life. And God's going to do that for all of us. He's going, to, he's going to graciously and mercifully confront us on all of these things. And he's going to lay it right in front of you and say, when, when things come your way, I want you to turn the other cheek. What? That ain't what came to mind. No, that's why I want you to change your mind. I want you to change the way you're thinking. That's, that's repentance as well. So Jonah's going to come into this confrontation with God over Nineveh and how God forgives and how God has, has a, 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 a great mercy. And God's going to say, Jonah, that's why the book ends like that. God basically says, Jonah, I need you to change your mind now. That's repentance. I need you to repent. So repentance kind of becomes a way of life for us. All right? Let's pray. We need help, don't we? We need help a lot.
Huh, thank you, Lord, for this story. Just the more I look at it, the more that comes and just seems to just roll. Holy Spirit, thank you for your faithfulness to give insight and revelation and understanding. Lord, but it's not enough for us to understand the story of Jonah. We've got to understand what you really want out of us. So help us. We struggle with sin. It's all around us. It's in us at times. We're not as sanctified as we hope to be. We need you to help us with sin. It's all around us. Help us, Lord. Help us to be free from that taskmaster. As Paul said, dead to sin and alive to God. Help us to get to that place to where we, we literally, practically live like that, Lord. Help us. And we know you're going to hold us accountable. And Lord, we just ask you to help us. Help us. We, we, we need your help. And as we cry out, Lord, give us the strength, the ability, the wisdom, the know-how to be able to change to the direction that you want us to go. For, for it's our desire to do your will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.